John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out or brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Jesus said again, truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees the wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he's a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep, but I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. Again, the Jews were divided because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon, and he's crazy. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these aren't the words of someone who is demon-possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. You guys may be seated. It's good to see you all this morning. I'm thankful to be able to worship with you and to open God's word. Maybe you've experienced this before, but there are times in life when you can't see how good something is or even how good your life is until it is compared with something that's really bad. Maybe some of you have played on travel teams before and you go off and you practice a lot and you play a lot with really good players and you compete and you get better and better and then you come back and play on your rec league and you begin to see, oh man, this is really difficult because they're not very good and I know what good looks like now. Or maybe uh, my kids experience this with video games sometimes. They'll be playing and they get really into it and then they get someone playing with them that's not very good, and they're like, oh, it's pulling teeth trying to get them to play better. When I was in high school, I was really into music. I was a trumpet player. And uh, not to toot my own horn, <laughs> but I was a good trumpet player. I made mid-state, all-state, uh, 
pretty much my whole high school career, and I would go off to these concerts and these gatherings, and we would practice and practice and practice for hours on end, and then we'd put on a performance, and it was awesome to be surrounded by other musicians who cared as much about music as you did, who practiced as much as you did, who was able to play as well as you wanted to play. My, between my junior and senior year, I went to something called Governor's School for the Arts, and Oh, you too? Were we there at the same time? I don't know, maybe. Uh, in Murfreesboro. And uh, you go for a month, and for a month straight, you do nothing but play music. Or for me, that's what it was. And it was really cool. Uh, I got to have really great instructors, play really great concerts, be around other people who love music as much as I did. And then we got done, and the next week I had to come back to band camp at my high school, where this year I was band president, so I was in charge, give me power, and I'm you know, thinking I'm really hot stuff. And we get back and like everyone else is like rolling out of bed and coming in like, okay, what are we doing here today? They just didn't care. And I got mad. I was a bad leader, by the way, when it came to that. Uh, and I was really looking forward to like winning all kinds of competitions and they just didn't have the same drive as I had. And it wasn't until I came back and saw kind of the normalty, normalcy of our high school band that I realized really how good it was to be around people who were good players. You often don't see the badness of a situation until you see the goodness that it could be displayed. And in today's passage, we join in with the people of Israel who have been under the watch of some really bad leaders. And we see the extent of their badness or their poor quality because we have someone great to which we can compare them. Jesus steps in and he begins to tell the story of the good shepherd. So the flow of the text this week is that Jesus continues speaking to the blind man that we saw last week and the Pharisees that were there when the chapter ended. He begins to teach about the situation that we saw coming out of chapter 9. So last week we saw the events of what happened. This week Jesus is going to teach about them. He's going to interpret them. So the flow of today's sermon is going to be this. One, first point, there's going to be 17 points. I'm just joking. There's going to be three points. Jesus is the shepherd of the sheep. Two, as the good shepherd, Jesus provides for his sheep. And number three, there are multiple flocks of sheep. I'm sorry, <laughs> misspoke miss that. There are multiple flocks of sheep in the pen of Israel, and Jesus is pulling out his own. So first, Jesus is the shepherd of the sheep. So verse 1 picks up immediately after Jesus' last statement to the Pharisees last week in chapter 9. If, if, we good? Okay. If you were blind... You wouldn't have sin, he said. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. Now, a quick aside here. The chapter and verse numbers weren't there by John. John didn't put those in. Matthew, Mark, Paul, Moses. He didn't, those chapter numbers weren't there. They were put in at a later time. And so you have to understand that chapter 10 is in the same context as chapter 9 last week. So the blind man's there. These Pharisees are there. And Jesus tells the Pharisees, you are actually blind. Or because you say you see, your sin remains on you. And so he picks up and begins to teach about what's going on here. 
Knowing that, or knowing that this is the same situation as we left in chapter 9 last week, Jesus' teaching in these verses can be seen in a clear light. He isn't just picking up with a random story. He's actually explicating the truth of what happened last week. The man born blind had been thrown out of the synagogue, if you remember. The place where he should have been accepted and had a party thrown for him even because of the healing that God gave him. Instead, he was despised. He was shamed. Why? Because you remember what he, the conclusion that he came to was the only one that he felt he could come to. Jesus had healed him. Someone who could do this kind of thing must be from God, therefore Jesus is from God. Later, given the opportunity to believe in the Son of Man, he believed and he worshipped. So Jesus, taking the opportunity that was given to him to teach here, he zeroes in on this man's situation. Why was he thrown out of the synagogue? Why was this miracle that Jesus had performed not celebrated as the sign that it was to be to the people of Israel, that the Messiah had come? It was because the leaders of the synagogues, Jesus is telling us, indeed, the leaders of Israel as a whole were not fulfilling their role as the leaders or the shepherds of Israel. To see Jesus teaching here in a clear light, in the context of the Bible as a whole, turn in your Bibles with me to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel, one of the major prophets Major because it's a long book. Ezekiel 34. I'm going to read a few verses at the beginning, then we'll skip down. So starting in verse 1 of Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? You eat the fat, wear the wool, and butcher the fattened animals, but you do not tend the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. Instead, you've ruled them with violence and cruelty. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They became food for all the wild animals when they were scattered. My flock went astray on all the mountains and every high hill. My flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and there was no one searching or seeking for them. Skip down to verse 11. For this is what the Lord God says, See, I myself will search for my flock and look for them. As a shepherd looks for his sheep on the day he is among his scattered flock, so I will look for my flock. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and total darkness. I will bring them from out of the peoples, gather them from the countries, bring them to their own soil. I will shepherd them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and all the inhabited places of the land. And then skipping again to verse 22. I will save my flock. They will no longer be prey. And I will judge between one sheep and another. I will establish over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will shepherd them. He will tend them himself and will be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. 
I will make a covenant of peace with them and eliminate dangerous creatures from the land so that they may live securely in the wilderness and sleep in the forest. I will make them and the area around my hill a blessing. I will send down showers in their season. They will be showers of blessing. It's hard not to see back in John that Jesus was referring back to Ezekiel's rebuff of Israel's leaders hundreds of years earlier in his statements here. So we're going to be talking about sheep today. Sheep are weak creatures. They get easily distracted, like from buzzing of microphones. And as a whole, they're quite stupid. Did you know that the Greek word for stupid is the same word as sheep? It's not. I'm just joking. That's not true. (laughs) But sheep have zero ability to protect themselves. They have no defenses except to run. And they will almost always make the wrong choice if given the opportunity. If they know that they could go one way and get away, they're going to go the other way and get caught. They wander off with their heads down, looking for the next blade of grass to eat. They don't keep their head on a swivel. They're not paying attention, not realizing the dangers that they may be walking into. So what do they need? They need a shepherd. It's not just helpful to have a shepherd. It is necessary for them to have a shepherd. I remember our first apartment when we lived in Turkey in the city of Batuan, and outside of our back window was a massive field. Uh, It just went as far as your eye could see with an airport in between. And right behind there, right behind us, every morning we would wake up to sheep, not just a few sheep, but like multiple, many herds of sheep with their little shepherds walking along beside them. And every day, for that first uh, bit while we were there, I would walk my boys to school. It was about a mile one way. And we'd hit the pavement just in time to get to school on time. And as we're walking one day, uh, we are stopped by a long line of sheep. Uh, Because this was normal there. We don't tend to have that here where traffic across an interstate or a major road just stops because a herd is going through. But there was a large flock of sheep blocking the road. And the shepherd, who leads out ahead of them, they don't drive from behind them, like you do some animals, they lead out ahead of them and they had gone around the corner not realizing that the sheep had gotten really distracted by a tree. And we're laughing because like my boys and I are standing there, other people were coming to stand beside us waiting on the sidewalk, a line of cars as far as you could see backed up and they're like sheep up on their hind legs trying to eat the leaves of this tree. And everyone's getting mad but the shepherd didn't realize it. And eventually, by the time he got back there to get them, uh, there were some very, very angry Kurds uh, waiting to have a word with him. So this is what happens to a sheep. They get distracted. And I've got tons of sheep stories from our time there, like the time I walked out and there was one being sacrificed on my front doorstep. Um, I'm not gonna tell that story. It might make you a little sick, but um, Okay, so Jesus, (laughs) with Ezekiel in the background, his understanding of sheep, because in their day, everyone understood this about sheep, he begins to speak into the situation that occurred to the man born blind, what happened to him at the synagogue. And he begins to say, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, 
is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. So what's going on here? Just like we saw in Turkey, many families during this day, uh, for the good of their own family and for the good of the community, had to raise sheep. It was how they made a living. It's how they provided for the needs of others. It wasn't like the past 60 years of the industrialized food complex here in America where you can just go to the store and buy something. If you're going to eat, you pretty much had to raise it. Everyone there had a role in this process. So you've got all these shepherds and all these sheep. Where are they going to live? Where are they going to sleep? So in the town that someone would live in, there would be a large sheepfold or a sheep pen. And Jesus in this passage refers to two different types. The first example we see here, he tells of one kind that would have been built in a town, a large pen structure with high walls so that the sheep couldn't jump out and with only one entrance, the gate or the door. When it got close to quitting time and the shepherds were done for the day, they would come in from the fields leading their sheep and they would lead everyone into this one pen. So you've got one pen with multiple flocks roaming around inside and there was a gatekeeper. And the guy or the girl who came and dropped off the sheep, they were the ones who were in charge of, the sh- of that flock, their particular flock. And if they were going, those sheep were going to get out, that shepherd had to come back and get them. Only the shepherd or the shepherdess who had responsibility for them could come back to get them. So Jesus says that if there's anyone who comes into the pen by any other means other than the gate, because the gatekeeper is there recognizing who is whom, who is who, If they come in by any other way, then they are a thief and a robber. They are there to take what is not theirs. They will do violence to what is not theirs. They are looking for a quick and easy meal. But if someone comes through the gate, he is the one who is the shepherd. What happens when this one who has authority comes into the pen? Look what Jesus says in verse 3. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So remember, in this pen, you would have various flocks of sheep all gathered together, mingling around. Some were little Eliyahus, some were Hannahs, and they're all walking around, feasting on the hay in the the pen together. And while sheep aren't very smart in some ways, they do know the sound of their shepherd's voice. They even learned to respond to their own names when being called. Why do they respond to the shepherd's voice? Because they've been cooped up in a pen all night and they're hungry and they're ready to get out to the pasture for the morning so they can get the wet grass that is there and get their water for the day. It's a bit Pavlovian, but we see it every day on our little homestead. When I wake up in the morning, I go outside and begin to put my boots on And I usually make just enough racket that our guard goose can hear us. And he starts honking. And it's like you can hear him all over the place. He's so loud. And that gets the chickens going. So the chickens are now ready to get out of their coop and go out for the day. That gets the pigs going if they're awake. And the pigs are snorting because they're wanting their food. The cows, if they're really hungry, they start mooing at us because they're ready to go to get to the next pasture, to get the food for the day, because it's time to eat. So when the sheep here hear the shepherd's voice, they follow him. They've been waiting for him. 
He calls out to them and they follow. Jesus says in verse 5, they will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Now, Jesus wasn't giving an FFA lecture here on animal husbandry, though as the creator and sustainer of the world, I'm sure it would have been magnificent if he did. He was giving what some of your translations in verse 6 call a figure of speech. It's not a parable, per se, because the Greek word parabole is not used here. John doesn't use that word at all. He uses the word that best translates as figure of speech. It's more of an allegory going on here. And an allegory is where certain elements of the story that are used, they stand for something else in our own personal story. So here the shepherd is Jesus. The sheep are his people, the ones that hear his voice. And the thieves and robbers, they are the Pharisees. The sheep do not belong to these thieves. So they get to the sheep, they have snuck over the pen wall, and they have stolen them. The Pharisees have convinced Israel to follow them. But they are not the shepherd. John tells us that those listening didn't understand what Jesus was saying here. It didn't line up with how they were thinking about the people of God. Why didn't they? Because their entire frame of reference for understanding themselves individually and themselves collectively was based in the fact that they were God's people. Because why? Why did they think they were God's people? Because they were children of Abraham. And they had the law through Moses. Their misplaced trust in those two truths blinded them from seeing Jesus for who he was. He was speaking against their mentality and they weren't able to hear it because they were too comfortable thinking that they already were in the kingdom because of those two truths. They did not follow the Messiah, the one who would rescue his people, not only from the oppression that comes from sin, but from the root of sin itself that was bound up in their very nature. So when Jesus in verse 3 said, the sheep hear his voice, he isn't just pushing the story forward. Those who are part of Jesus' flock know him when they hear him. Have you been fighting against following Jesus, I wonder? Are you afraid that if you follow him, he might ask too much of you? He might take you to a place that you're not comfortable. You like that one paddock out there, and that's the one you're willing to go to, but Jesus might take you through the valley of the shadow of death to get to a better pasture, but you're not willing to go. Or maybe he won't accept you, you feel. Well, let's keep reading and see that Jesus loves his sheep and he is even willing to give his life to protect them. So the second point, as the good shepherd, Jesus provides for his sheep in many various ways. So Jesus now shifts the story a bit and starts telling another allegory that's similar to the first. But the story changes to tell the same truth just more deeply and clearly. So as we read earlier, maybe you noticed, or as we read earlier, maybe you noticed one very important phrase that was repeated three times in this story. What was it? I am. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. And then again, he gives another one, I am the good shepherd. 
These are the third, fourth, and fifth instances of I am statements in John's gospel. There are seven total. These three statements are three allegories that frame his teaching here. So first, I am the gate. This is Jesus providing and protecting his people. Now at first glance, this seems confusing because in the previous story, Jesus was the shepherd who came to the gatekeeper and now he's the gate. Yes, so don't try to mesh these two stories together. This is not a Star Wars prequel. The setting here has changed. In the previous story, we were in a sheep pen like what you find in a town or a city. But now, we've moved out to pasture. This, is, this sheep pen that we see here is a different kind of sheep pen. It's one that would be put up when the shepherds are so far away from town they can't get back in. So they would erect these uh, shambled uh, pens for the sheep to go into at night. And it didn't have a door, it had an opening. Well, where did the door come? How did the sheep not get out? Well, because when it was quitting time and they had gotten their sheep into the pen for the night, the shepherd themselves would lay down in front of the door or in front of the opening. They were the gate. They were the door to the sheep pen. In this scenario, it's just one flock inside, the shepherd's flock. Once all the sheep had followed him in, they were done in pasture for the day, they would come in and he would lay down as the gate. So in this pastoral context, Jesus says in verse 7, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. This gate shepherd serves to provide for and to protect the sheep. That is his purpose. That's why he exists here. Those who were before him, who were unfaithful, they only live to profit off the sheep. They are like Ezekiel's shepherds in 34, chapter 34, verse 2. Shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? Yes, that's what a shepherd does. They are to walk them around through the wilderness, making sure they get enough grass to live so that one day they could be butchered and provide for families and their extended family. But instead, what do these shepherds do? They just eat them. They slaughter them for their own good. You eat the fat, you wear the wool, and butcher the fattened animals, but you do not tend the flock. You have not strengthened the weak. You've not healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. They were scattered for a lack of a shepherd. They became food for all the wild animals. That is the epitome of what a shepherd is not supposed to be. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is not that kind of shepherd. He, as opposed to the bad shepherds, is the good shepherd gate. How is he good? He protects them, he says. He keeps watch over his flock. He doesn't let the thieves come in. He lets the sheep out to pasture so that they can get the grass and the water they need to live. Verse 10 says that this good shepherd comes. Why? So that his sheep may have life, but not simply life, to have an abundant and satisfied life. So the question we need to be asking ourselves this morning is, who am I following? We have our tribes, don't we? We're so quick to listen to the leaders, some of them religious, some of them political, some of them just rich, some of them just happen to own a smartphone and throw up videos, and we follow them intensely. 
these leaders don't have our best at heart. They are fake messiahs. Jesus urges us to question ourselves this morning. Are we following fake messiahs who don't come through the gate in our previous example, who aren't protecting the sheep in our current example? Of course, we'd never say that this or that influencer is our savior the way that Jesus is our savior, but they do get a lot right. And everyone else seems to be wrong, and they do help us have our best life, or our most fit life, or our most authentic life. Maybe we do look to them for filling the need that we have for a shepherd. Fellow flockmates, let's keep our eyes on the true shepherd to know that he is the one that can lead us well. He's the only one who can protect us. He's the only one who can save us. Let's be listening to his voice above all others. Second I am statement. I am the good shepherd, he says. This, this is about Jesus willing to die for his sheep. So the second I am statement, I am the good shepherd. How does Jesus define a good shepherd in this section? He lays down his life for the sheep. He is willing to die for them. This is over against the hired hand that he juxtaposes here. The hired hand who, of course, isn't going to die for the sheep that isn't his. When the wolf comes, he turns tail and runs. This seems to make sense. Would you expect a cash register, at Win or a cash register person at Wendy's to die for the money that's in the cash register if they're being held up? No, here, take it, go. I'll see you later, I'm gonna go get a hamburger. We don't expect them to do that kind of thing because they don't own the restaurant. The Pharisees are like the hired hand here. They don't love the sheep. They use them for their own ends. Whether it's money or power or stature. Commentator D.A. Carson writes, they perform their duty well enough in normal times, always provided that they're paid, but who never displayed personal care for the sheep in times of danger, occupied as they are with their own safety and advancement. They are false shepherds. But the good shepherd loves his own sheep. He will protect them with his life. It's like the tale of the scorpion and the frog. You know this story? Scorpion comes up to a river, wants to get to the other side, but scorpions can't swim. He sees a frog in the middle of the river. He says, hey, frog, come over. Can you take me to the other side on your back? Frog said, no, scorpion, I'm not going to do that. If I come over there, you're going to sting me. The scorpion reasons with him and says, why would I do that? Because if I do that, I'm ensuring that I'm going to die as well in the middle of the river because I can't swim. It seems to make sense to the frog. So the frog swims over, gets the scorpion on his back, and heads across to the other side. They get near the other side, and suddenly the frog feels a sting behind his neck. And he turns around as he's drowning and gasping and says, Scorpion, why would you do this? You're ensuring that you are going to die too. The scorpion says, well, what did you expect? I'm a scorpion. It's what I do. When we see the Pharisees go down this path of rejecting Jesus and shunning later even murdering his disciples, know that they are acting out of their very nature. When we see 
present-day public faces or co-workers or schoolmates deny that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and instead they follow their own truth, whatever that means, they are acting out of their nature. Later in the storyline of the New Testament, we'll see Saul of Tarsus acting out of his nature, breathing out threats against Christians and even leading others to carry them out. Why? Because he was acting out of his own nature. And later, he's given a new nature and he became the greatest New Testament church planner. Why did he do that? Because he was acting out of his own nature. The false teachers were doing what false teachers do. The Pharisees were doing what the Pharisees do, and Jesus came to do what the Son of God does. He was acting out of his nature. Jesus acts out of his perfect nature when he shepherds his flock. He can't do anything else. There's never going to be a day when you go down a path that Jesus isn't there with you if you're in the Lord. He is trustworthy. He is true. He is powerful. And he is with you. There is never a doubt that he is willing to go to the greatest extent, even to the point of giving up his own life for the sake of saving his sheep from danger. Those that would have you turn to the law as a means of earning or even proving your salvation, that smells of hired hand. They are basically yelling back to the sheep as they run from the wolves, run for the hills, save your lives. Jesus holds a better hope for us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. We aren't afraid of the dark valley of death because he's with us. It's not because we won't go through those valleys, but because he is with us in the midst of the valleys to protect and to guide us through them. I know there are many of us here this morning who are struggling with real brokenness, anxiety, pain. Know that Jesus doesn't promise to be your good shepherd, to only give you your best pasture now. But as he leads us to the best pasture, and as we go through really hard and dark places, we can trust that he has already gone down those paths and he knows the way. Beyond that, he is strong, strong enough and wise enough and loving enough to get us through as we follow his voice. Third I am statement, I am the good shepherd. Jesus knows his people and they listen to him. So Jesus speaks another I am statement here. I am the good shepherd. How does Jesus define good shepherd this time? He says, I know my own and my own know me. This is similar to verse 3 when he says the sheep hear his voice. They call or he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. But here Jesus expands and gives a grounding to why that relationship with the sheep and the shepherd is so strong. In verse 14, I know my own and my own know me. Why? Just as the father knows me and I know the father. Jesus is using this particular language here to describe this very particular and close relationship that Jesus has with the Father and with his sheep. His sheep are known to him specially, just like your father, or just like you, father, father, 
Father, just like you know the way your kids are going to act in a certain situation. You know their proclivities. You know what they tend to do, the things they tend to say. That's why you can be ready to pounce before they even say it. And your kids, you know your father. You know what's going to put him over the edge, don't you? You know the things that are going to really bless him and make him happy. You know your father well. His sheep are known to him specially. Jesus and his sheep have the same kind of relationship that Jesus and the Father have. That's not exactly the same because the sheep and the shepherd haven't existed always before time in relationship with one another coming together. But that same kind of special love is there. And this intimate relationship that we as his flock have with Jesus, it means that he lays down his life for us. There is nothing that will come between us. Or to use Paul's language in Romans 8, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, things present nor things to come, powers nor heights nor depths, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because we are his sheep and he is our shepherd. But Jesus here in John 10 also defines his flock. Back in verse 1 in that town type pen, is an allegory for Judaism. Jesus calls to the true sheep and he leads them out to go to find pasture. In verse 7, Jesus switches to this wilderness type pen. In this pen, it's only filled with the sheep from his flock. So what does he say here in verse 16? He says, I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. He's let out the flock that was mixed in with those that were not his, and he took them out to a place where they were only his. And then he's going to get a group of sheep that are also his, but that aren't yet with the others. So you can imagine a shepherd out in the wilderness. He has multiple pens with sheep in them, Jesus is saying that he, as the good shepherd, must go to these other pens and get them because they are just as valuable to him as the original fox. How do we know that they are his sheep? Because they listen to his voice. He calls them and they come and they will join together with these earlier called sheep into one flock with one good shepherd. These other sheep that are not from this pen, that's you and I, by the way if you are a follower of Jesus. If you're one of his sheep, if you hear his voice, you are one of these other flocks and you've been brought into the one pen with the one good shepherd. We are part of the flock. These other sheep that he's going to get, they are not a plan B for my dispensationalist friends out there. This is not a plan B or a plan A. This is the plan. One flock, one shepherd of the sheep. So Jesus closes his teaching saying in verse 17, this is why the father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my father. The eternal relationship between the father and the son, the father sending, the son fulfilling and obeying is being displayed clearly in Jesus' words here. This isn't Jesus saying that by laying down his life, he is earning the Father's love. 
John later in chapter 17 will say, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory which you have given me because you love me before, before the world's foundation. Jesus didn't earn the Father's love, but the love the Father has for the Son is affirmed and confirmed by Jesus doing what he was sent to do and he said he would do and he willingly comes to do. There is no infighting within the Godhead here. What the Father wants, the Son is already willing to do. The love that the Father has for the Son is the Father's exulting love pouring out because the Son does what he said he was going to do. Even though painful, gut-wrenching, excruciating, Jesus was willing to do and was going to do the very thing that he and his Father had planned to do from before the foundation of the world. Jesus says in verse 18, no one takes it, takes his life from him. I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down. Jesus willingly is going to die for his people, for his sheep. No one is forcing him to do it. He does it out of the love that he has for those that are his. Jesus has the right, the authority, the power to lay his life down, and he has the right to take it up again. He also has the authority, the right, and the power to not lay it down and to not take it up again. But by dying, he's doing it out of love for the flock. How does Jesus lay down and take up his life? How does that show love for his people? Because he's taking the place of his people. Amen. By dying, he is saving them from death. And by living, taking his life up again, he is giving them life. He is ensuring that they will have life. If you're not following this good shepherd, you are following false shepherds. You may say, no, I'm on my own. I don't follow anyone. That's a lie that you're telling yourself. You are following someone because it's in your nature as a human being to do it. You will follow. And if you don't see that you're following, you have some real thinking to do this afternoon. If you're not following the good shepherd, you're following false shepherds that cannot make the same promises that Jesus does. Those shepherds will die. Jesus is the one who lives. Amen. So finally, there, point number three or 17, whichever it was. There are multiple flocks in the pen of Israel. There are multiple flocks in the pen of Israel. How did those listening hear what Jesus had to say? How did they respond? Well, similar to how they did last time. Verse 19, again, the Jews were divided because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon. He's crazy. Why do you listen to him? And others were saying, these aren't the words of someone who is demon-possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? We've come back to where we were last week in chapter 9. The miracle itself the act itself stood out as something that couldn't be explained away. If you're going to understand who Jesus is, you've got to deal with this blind man now seeing. Just as they were at the end of chapter 9, the Jews have heard the teaching of Jesus. They couldn't come to a unified conclusion as to who Jesus was. Some heard him talking about sheep from other sheep pens and assumed he's crazy. We are Israel. We are God's flock. How does this guy have any authority to say this, they're thinking? 
Others heard him, though, with that past miracle of healing in the back of their mind, and they couldn't help but wonder if there was something to what he was teaching. Was this the David shepherd that God had promised through Ezekiel? Could it be true? As you read Jesus' words here, I wonder if any of you heard Jesus calling you. Are you longing for a good shepherd, finally, to be in your life? To not only lead you through the paths of life, but also to protect you, to fight for you, who would ultimately lay down his life for you, to keep you from dying. Do you really think that you can protect yourself from what's assailing you in your life right now? Are you looking past today and into what happens when you die? Jesus says in verse 9, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. Are you looking to be satisfied? To stop the striving, searching, seeking that takes up your days and your nights. You haven't found it yet. Netflix, YouTube, TikTok, they can't fill it. Social media friends can't fill it. Approval of society can't fill it. Drugs, alcohol, sex, they can't fill it. You have an infinite hole that you're trying to fill with finite things. It just can't work. So come to Jesus. The shepherd is calling. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. His sheep will hear him. They will follow him and they will be satisfied. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would help us to think about our own lives now, to consider who are we following. Lord Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, call to us and help us to follow you. In your name we ask, amen.